Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Good afternoon, tennis fans, especially you high school tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball UR Tennis Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, bringing you the FHS TCA perspective on high school tennis. We are the new kid on the block, only in our second year. We want to thank the CEO of our organization, J.P. Weber, and his We Coach Tennis program, and also for those of you on Facebook, you should sit there and go to We Coach Tennis. He has excited information all the time. We'd like to thank him for allowing us to join Lisa Stone and her uh, Tuesday's Parenting Aces. And, of course, yesterday, Wednesday's uh, Chuck Creasy and his American uh, Tennis uh, Program. Uh, those of you young coaches that are not listening to the legendary coach instructional series really should be because um, it, it has important information. Usually yesterday's show uh, I thought was especially useful and a, and a great reminder to all of us of the mentoring. And he has his three steps to the mentoring program rather than the traditional two and why. And, uh, of course, we have that on our uh, Facebook uh, page. So if you haven't heard his presentation, and, of course, that's the nice thing about the UR10 Network, is you can listen to the show whenever you do. Uh, yesterday was unusual for me, actually. I listened to his broadcast live. Uh, usually that doesn't happen. I wind up catching him late at night or early in the morning and, uh you know, a little later, but uh, it's uh, this is the nice thing about the network and the shows, and of course, each week uh, on our program, you could be hearing from high school, college, or professional coaches, or tennis pros like we have today. Our guests will include educators, organization leaders from the FACA, PTR, USPTA, USTA, and others, uh, including in our uh, presenters, sometimes our guests will be our partners. Uh, our broadcast uh, really can't help but to occasionally overlap to uh, the other great tennis broadcasts on the network since if our high school tennis is an after-school sport and not an after-school activity, we should be building a bridge from the recreational to competitive tennis, which could be the pathway to a continuing rewarding and lifetime experience for our young athletes. We are blessed to have partners like Wilson uh, Tennis, a leader in sports for over 100 years, uh, Team Connection, who supports our uh, all-star team, uh, as Wilson does. And, of course, those all-star players and coach always look good because uh, Team Connection is supplying them with uniforms. You can also pick up our FHSTCA gear at Team Connection. They're the clothier for us. Florida Tennis Magazine, if you're not reading Florida Tennis Magazine, uh, you really should be. There's not only information, every issue uh, on uh, high school tennis, which I've been privileged to write for the last couple of years, but on proactivity, on recreational, USTA, uh, Florida, all the information uh, you need if you're not finding it here on the UR10 
uh, Yellow Ball Networks, you're going to find it in Florida Tennis Magazine. Uh, our partners uh, understand that tomorrow's college tennis players, USTA league players and volunteers, PTR and USPTA pros as well as tomorrow's community and national leaders are in high school now, and that's why we have privilege to have people like Flagler Insurance that has been supporting us for uh, well for quite a few years, actually, supporting our all-star event and uh, been a main partner with us with uh, tennis. Uh, I think, um, actually, uh, Ron uh, Scalzo received our Community Service Award this year. As you know, the uh, workshop got uh, rescheduled. Uh, but uh, there's a good example of what I talked about, nurturing uh, parents. Uh, too often I hear that a parent is... Uh, you know, can be a problem for young coaches. Uh, sometimes they can be, but most of the time I think they can be an asset. And there's a gentleman that, you know, was a volunteer tennis coach, soccer coach at a high school, and his girls have graduated high school, gone on to be successes in uh, uh, business and in um, medical fields, and he's still uh, supporting uh, us. So uh, be sure to nurture uh, your uh, parents and uh, see where you can go on. Uh, like I said earlier, we didn't have our uh, workshop because uh, Matthew went and wiped us out, but the FACA workshop will be January 5th, 6th, and 7th. And I've often said on the show that you know, take advantage of the older uh, coaches. Uh, today, uh, we have one of those gentlemen that was going to be here in our workshop in October, and uh, he's also, uh, uh, like most of the presenters that were going to be here in October, is going to be uh, joining us in January. And I've got to be careful when I say older. I don't mean old like me, <laughs> but he does have a son in the industry. But the point I'm making is for you new coaches getting in there, most of the really valuable coaches that I've been associated with and I've been privileged to know are people that are continuously given. And uh, today's um, uh, guest uh, at Duffy is really one of those people uh, at active in the PTR, the USPTA, the USTA, uh, when you ask him to do something, uh, he finds time. And uh, I hear often how busy everybody are. And uh, today we're a busy world, but uh, I think, uh, well, I'm going to let Ed introduce himself. I see he's online here. Let me see if I can get him live. Ed, are you there? Hey, John, how are you? I'm blessed. Uh, and yourself? Uh, same. Uh, I, I just love to. Uh, I was just telling the audience um, uh, that many of our um, speakers, I felt so blessed to, uh, I, I really uh, compare our workshop, and I know you're a PTR and a U.S. PTA elite pro, and you attend many of these but I really felt blessed over the years that I really think that our presenters are at the same caliber of uh, the other organizations. And I attend the PTR conference, uh, International Symposium in Hill and Head every year. Uh, I see you there often. But I thank you for what you're doing. And for those that don't know you, Ed, would you take a minute and just introduce yourself uh, to the audience? Absolutely, John. Uh, first, of course, I'd like to thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's an honor and a privilege to share my ideas on tennis. I believe tennis is the greatest sport on earth, and uh, it's a humbling experience for me to discuss this with you. Uh, I also look forward to attending the FACA in January with you up in Daytona. Um, how was I introduced to the game of tennis? Well, it's, uh, it was way back, uh, I don't know if you remember the Battle of the Sexes, 
Uh, oh, Billie yeah. Jean Boy, King. I think that did more, uh, probably did more for tennis than uh, anything. How many people at your club? Whereabouts are you located? Uh, remember that far back. Oh, boy. Uh, not many. I just remember uh, my mother and father. Uh, my mother was for Billie Jean King, and so was myself and my two siblings, and my dad was for Bobby Riggs. And after Billy won, it was just hysterical watching my dad react. And uh, I wanted a tennis racket in my hands uh, immediately the next day. I was age 12. And, uh, you know, I'd, I up to that point, I had played – I was a multi-sport athlete. I played pretty much every sport with the exception of tennis. And uh, I think that's an important point uh, – I feel like a lot of the young tennis players I, I have the privilege of working with uh, have very little experience in multi-sport. In fact, uh, some of them struggle with basic sending and receiving skills. So uh, let's uh, get everybody out there playing uh, not just tennis, but all the sports. Well, thanks for bringing that uh, up because uh, we've, we've talked about that. I think there is now enough evidence uh, out there, uh, that if you examine it, that uh, you know when you you look at it, the players should be uh, playing multiple sports, and uh, which if you're, I know that you're doing a, a little work on uh, introducing uh, a tennis trainer pyramid, which is. I, I, well, I, I shouldn't say it's not, it's not just for tennis coaches, but players and, and parents. And uh, maybe you'd like to, uh, if you would, share a little of that with us, because I think you're, I know you're on to uh, something there that really we should be discussing more. And as you know, I uh, I do have a passion. I believe high school sports needs to be into uh uh, building um, tennis, I think we can do more for tennis if we get people involved in high school tennis more. So can would you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, the Tennis Trainer's Pyramid is a visual guide for tennis coaches, parents, and players uh, that I've created. Um, tennis is a multifaceted sport with so many different areas of training. And uh, – Parents and players that are new, relatively new to the game, and even even coaches can benefit uh, from the tennis trainer's pyramid. Um, tennis trainers are working on technical, tactical, physical, mental tennis skills. Uh, they need to know about nutrition, and uh, I believe many people who haven't had the opportunity to immerse themselves in tennis could use a simplified guide to proper tennis development, especially for our young players. Um, if you can imagine a, a pyramid, and it's divided into about, let's see, eight stages. Um, and the base of, this, um, base of this pyramid is the largest stage, and that's the enjoyment stage. Uh, without enjoyment, a uh, prospective tennis player will never become uh, very good. They're they're never going to move up my pyramid, and they won't they won't want to play tennis consistently enough to improve the game. So, I, I believe seeing coaches out there, they lose sight of this primary reason. They've got to keep tennis fun. They've got to make it a positive environment. I mean, this is the reason why everybody starts playing tennis in the beginning. They believe it's going to be fun. And uh, without, without that base, all levels of player, you know, suffer. So that's, that's the base of the tennis pyramid. Now we move up to the second phase, which is consistency, adherence, devotion to the game. After a player realizes they enjoy the game of tennis, as long as they have the support, they're going to develop this adherence, consistency. Um, we all know that without consistent practice, a player will never reach his or her true potential. Um, the next phase would be technique. Now, again, this, this tennis uh, pyramid is giving us a way to prioritize what we're training. And so now we're going to get into technique. 
Uh, without solid technique, a player's progress will not only be limited, but could also cause injuries that will affect the bottom two stages of the pyramid, adherence and enjoyment of the game. If they're hurt, it's not going to be fun, and they're not going to be able to play very much. Um, a player can have incredible conditioning, which is the next phase above technique. But without proper technique, they will, they will have nothing to gain from great conditioning. So I would say to uh, some of the tennis coaches out there, let's uh, relax a little bit on the uh, conditioning and uh, focus on technique if the technique is not there. Um, with conditioning, you you get a base of fitness. A, a player will never be able to succeed in tournaments or junior events that only allow one hour in between matches without great fitness and conditioning. Um, this is for players that, that are learning to compete and want to compete in the near future. Um, I feel like conditioning is, is essential and uh, it's going to prevent injury and uh, greater work capacities and they'll be able to practice longer and harder. Um, the next phase would be strategy and tactics. So we've started with enjoyment on the lower, the bottom of the triangle, the largest portion. Then we have adherence. Then we have technique, conditioning, strategy. Um, once players are competing in tournaments or playing high school matches, they need to have strategies. They, before a match, and each and every player should have game plans, a plan A, a plan B. Um, but again, um, Tactics can, can get pretty difficult for somebody to understand um, before they have those other four phases of the pyramid um, in, in place in good order. Uh, after, after tactics and strategy, um, we get into recovery, which is encompassing nutrition, flexibility, hydration. Um, once they're in the process of learning how to compete and playing, competing regularly, they need to focus on on uh, all these factors um, so they can continue to compete. Uh, they need to increase their focus on their health on the court, their nutrition, flexibility. Um, but again, um, when they're younger and or if they're not even in the competitive phase, um, it's kind of silly to be for a coach to be focusing too much on, on this aspect. Um, and so. We are now in, in we're getting into the the really advanced phases. Um, equipment. Uh, I hear too many coaches uh, talking about advanced equipment needs for for beginner players. Um, of course, we want the correct sizes of rackets and the correct grips for our young students. But uh, you know, equipment really doesn't become important. In, very important to the higher levels of the game. And at that point, it's huge. I mean, at, at pro levels, I mean, we know that there, uh, one, a slight change in the racket weight or, or string tension can uh, cause huge differences. Um, and, and, of course, at this point, I think I have to mention uh, something we all know about, but very important, um, poly, polyester strings. Um, I really uh, recommend that our young players uh, string at low tensions and avoid uh, full bed polys, go with hybrids and soft polys, lower tensions to protect those shoulders and those growing shoulders and elbows. But again, uh, too much talk about equipment. This is one of the final pieces. Um, you can train. There's, there's a lot of great tennis rackets out there that don't cost a fortune. And uh, um, the next phase would be the period is, periodization. Um, this is the, the last tip of the triangle, the smallest tip. Um, uh, I believe this is absolutely necessary at the elite level. Um, I'm sure, you know, John, as a USPTA high-performance coach, that we create uh, periodized annual developmental plans uh, that 
are very intense. They include daily lesson plans, weekly lesson plans, uh, short-term, mid-term goals, uh, tournament scheduling, fitness testing, micro, meso, macro phases, and annual and semi-annual plans. It gets really intense. This is, this is not something we're going to be doing with 99% of our players. Um, this is for the, the elite, and that's why it's at the tip of the triangle. Um, and that's it in a nutshell. That's the uh, tennis trainer's triangle. Well, I congratulate you because I, I think the, the way you present that triangle is so important. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I did. I, we, we actually have the, the, quite a few things in common, but one of them, uh, some of, I, I think the best time I had in uh, coaching was being uh, working with my son, John. Most people think the John Denise School of Tennis was me. Uh, I always told people I was the other John Denise that, uh, that, that the school was formed for my son. And uh, your son, Taylor, uh, is now working with you. and uh, He's a PTR certified performance coach, too. What are some of the, number one, and I know he's, uh, you know, was a highly ranked player like you was, so I guess, you know, that was just part of seeing Dad and everything. But can you take us a little through that journey, how this came about? Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I started, uh, after uh, my my junior career ended and college ended, uh, I got involved in uh owning and operating a chain, small chain of retail stores. And uh, I moved away from the tennis world. And uh, I got married and I had three kids. And I, I introduced them to tennis at very young ages. And they actually weren't very interested. But uh, I signed up for a tennis tournament. And they came and watched me play. And I lost in the finals. And my, my son Taylor just cried. And he said, Dad, I want to start playing tennis. And he was about 9, 10 years old. Well, owning the retail stores, and uh, it gave me a lot of freedom to uh, spend time with my son on the tennis court. And uh, he got better and better, and and uh, that's when I became deeply involved with high-performance tennis teaching, uh, especially after he had gotten too good for me. He was kicking my butt on the court, and we moved down to Florida from New Jersey because uh, I needed to find him better tennis options than just his dad and driving two hours to, to find a, a junior of his caliber. And uh, we certainly found uh, high-caliber tennis in, in the southeast Florida region. But, uh, you know, at this point, I'd, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Paul Lubbers and Andy Brandy, uh, people, all these people you know well, uh, Ann Pankhurst, Steve Keller, Brian Parkinen, Robert Carbo, just to name a few who have been uh, very influential in my coaching career. I'd also like to uh, acknowledge... Uh, my friend Scott Williams, who uh, I've had the pleasure of working with here in South Florida. But uh, through these people and, and through my son's tennis journey, uh, I had to do a lot of research on exercise science, and I felt one of the best in the field uh, was Dr. Eric Helms, and he created a visual pyramid for strength training athletes. So I knew that this same concept could be used for tennis coaches. And uh, I also felt that all involved in the game needed a simplified guide to the whens and whys of tennis training. Um, you and I both know there's, there's plenty of how-to guides, but uh, I just felt like a simpler when and why guide, something that could be put on one piece of paper, um, would be kind of cool. So that's uh, that's what I've created here with the with the uh, pyramid. Tennis teaching pyramid. Well, it's, it's a poor piece. I think sometimes we're all guilty of it. I know I've been guilty, and uh, part of uh, you know my progress of becoming a better coach is that you actually get too technical at times and too involved. Or I think the other thing is we don't listen enough, and I think. Uh, Sometimes you learn from the people that you're uh, 
sitting there uh, trying to help on their journey. And this is, I tell people, this is what we try to do with the workshop. And uh, we have the coaches here that have made some of the mistakes that you're going to go through. And all we're trying to do is help you to speed up uh, the learning curve so you don't make as many uh, mistakes as we do uh, when you're doing that. So I think uh, uh, hopefully you're going to be bringing the Tennis pyramid, uh, trainer's pyramid to the workshop when you come in January. Oh, absolutely. It would be my pleasure. I agree absolutely with uh, uh, too much talk, too much technical. Um, coaches are guilty of that uh, all over the place. Uh, I think, I think to their credit, uh, they spend a lot of time studying the game, and, and they want to share that. But in the end, we want to be the coach that uh, – um, can find that uh, one thing that's going to take the player where they need to go at the quickest rate. Um, because we also know that players don't want to listen. They want to play. Uh, they don't want to be uh, preached to. And uh, I think uh, all coaches would agree that they're athlete centered, but uh, they have to practice that, you know, and, and be let, let the practice be athlete driven let the let the athlete have input on on what they want to do and then you know if you don't agree or if you do agree ask questions and let them explain so so they can create uh, a uh, critical thinking that can help them uh, find the answers to questions when they need the most on the court when they when they don't have the benefit of your coaching yeah, and I think that's the uh, big part of it. I mean, there's, uh, I know years ago in coaching in high school, uh, uh, tennis, you're allowed to, during changeovers, talk to your players and everything. And uh, years ago, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I had a young lady say to me, you know, Coach, you always uh, see when I'm doing something wrong and you, uh, you know, come to the, you know, uh, fence so I could talk to you because I always told my players, always look to see if I'm at the fence for you. And uh, she says, you don't see the other stuff. And I just sat there and I figured, you know, this is time to explain to the whole team, uh, not just to her, that I'm not smart enough to know everything that you're doing uh, when you're playing right what could make you better. So I would tell you, I see when you're playing right, but I'm not going to interrupt your play if you are in the flow of the game, winning or losing. If I see you playing well, I'm just not that smart that I want to interrupt you. But if I see you're doing something wrong and you're not in the flow of the game, then maybe I could inject something to you. And, and uh, you know, not just her, but some of the other, even the boys said, oh, oh so, so I said, when you look for me at the net, at the fence, I do have something for you, but that doesn't mean that the other times I'm not at the fence waiting to talk to you, that I don't see what you're doing well. And I think we have to reinforce that with our players that, you know, coaches, we don't have all the answers. We're just introducing them uh, to things, and, um, you know, it's their game. Absolutely, absolutely, and we want the player to be able to uh, answer their own questions. And, right. You know, for instance, uh, you know, if they're if they're missing all their forehands long, you, you might ask them, well, why why do you think that's happening because you you may know you may know that you know they're uh they're hitting hitting the ball too flat and they're not adding enough shape and you could go tell them that but you may ask them why and they might say something like well you know it's the wind or or the other players hitting too hard and then you realize you know they're we're just not on the same page here and then you can go back at, in practice and work on those those technical issues that may have been really the true reason. But uh, instead of dictating to the player, well, you know, technically there's, you know, that, that stroke, uh, flat stroke pattern or 
the the swing your flat swing path is the reason they're going long you need a uh, a lower to high swing path you'd say well you know why don't why don't you try a, a different swing path and see how that feels you know and, and now now you're asking them a question instead of uh dictating to them what what you believe is correct and and then they can say well that that might that worked, but it didn't feel right, you know, and you know, and, and right. you work from there. Oh, excellent point, Coach. Excellent uh, point. Uh, going back to uh, your uh, pyramid for a moment, it reminds me of when you, when you went through that. I think the one thing you know, tennis is so much different than other sports, but yet it is the same as other sports as far as you have to build from a foundation and then the basics. And I think you, when you look, for instance, uh, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying that uh, coach should, uh, you know, not get too excited about recovery until, you know, after somebody masters technique, which to me makes a lot of sense because it's uh, – you have to understand the uh, basics. Uh, am I interpreting that right or no? Exactly, John, exactly. Um, you know, the tennis trainer's pyramid is a visual representation of what coaches should prioritize for their students. Um, recovery involves flexibility training before and after exercise. It involves the importance of nutrition and protein consumption and increased calorie consumption based on calories burned. I mean, we have players out there that are playing three, four hours a day, and they're dropping weight uh, like crazy because they simply aren't uh, increasing the calories consumed at home. I mean, these are potentially dangerous situations. Um, but, but why are we discussing these type of things when the forehand technique is severely flawed and, and they can't win a match at – at a level seven event here in Florida or anywhere in the USTA, um, you know, we, we should be improving the forehand technique, um, and we're going to get better gains from that prioritization than if we would say, hey, you know, what you need to do is, you know, get a much better diet, get increase your flexibility, and um, this is this is again just uh, the pyramids a guide to to help coaches prioritize their tennis training goals. So you're correct. It's it's an excellent point. Uh, I think of um, Chuck Reese, uh, who will also be at the uh, workshop where you're doing a presentation, and he often talks about uh, what you mentioned before, you know, the progression you want them to do. They have to enjoy it. They have to have uh, some fun and everything. And he he uses the phrase "you have to hook up first." Yes. You know. Uh, so I think that when you sit and look at the pyramid, what you're saying is that's the important thing. You know, they, let's get them hooked on the game. Uh, we're not saying that uh, competition is a bad word. Competition. This is my argument sometimes with high school sports, and I asked the question, is it an after-school activity or an after-school sport? Uh, competition is something that the person's going to do the rest of their life, and it's important, and we should, there's different levels, but when you reach a certain level, you know, competition can still be fun, and it should be fun if you have the right base to work off of. Exactly. I completely agree. I'm, I mean, again, uh, the tennis trainer's pyramid um, really doesn't address competition. It's t tennis competition is is the essence of tennis. Uh, I mean, it's constantly. I mean, at the earliest stages, uh, we're telling telling. Hopefully, we're telling our students, "Hey, uh, hit it hit it where they ain't." You know, I mean, that right there is is pretty much all they need to know. Uh, you know, isn't it fun watch making me run and instead of hitting it straight to me and, and just, uh, however, you know, when competition becomes the main priority, um, we see this so often in the juniors, um, you know, you see they, they can't 
they can't climb up that elite tennis ladder without the other things in place if competition is is made the priority you know it, this is the pyramid is all about the process um not about the results and uh i think uh we all know great coaches are process oriented as opposed to results oriented and i think this is uh lost on many of the players and parents and, until they find that great coach now being a parent of a uh a coach today a ptr pro uh, what do you uh, what do you find that uh, that the expectations are of other uh, parents? I mean, I think you have a little insight that some uh, uh, people don't uh, because you had a son and you, uh, you did you coach your son for a while? Yes. Yes, I coached my son for a while, but not exclusively. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, things would go stale, and uh, I'd bring him to other coaches for periods of time, and, you know, he would make gains, and then, of course, uh, um, things would go stale, and then he'd come back to me. It was kind of like that kind of a, a dynamic. Um, and then, of course, when he got uh, really, really good, um, he, he started – Coach, coaching himself almost, and you know he he really started to self-regulate, and uh, it was very exciting. But um, um, going back to the the original question, um, which I think I just uh, lost um, track. What what was the question again? Well, I mean the parents. I hear a lot of young coaches, and I'm. Uh, still trying to stay abreast of uh, things that I hear. Uh, I think too often. Maybe I look at looking at it wrong about you know parents being a problem, and I I always remind them that uh, you know the parent is giving you their most important possession they have, and uh, uh, and that is their child. But uh, and it doesn't. It can be a problem, but it doesn't have to be a problem. It can be an asset. And uh, I was just wondering, well, you know, did yeah. you having a son? Do you think that involved in that was that helpful or not? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, uh, parents are a critical asset and have to be part of any successful uh, tennis uh, team. You know it. it you need agreement between parent, player, and coach. Or if if one is out of agreement, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, any coach that uh, complains about parents, uh, I would steer clear of. They're essential. Um, I just think that uh, being exposed to many tennis parents along um, my son's journey and even my own junior tennis journey, um, I feel like there's a lot of... Uh, strange and unrealistic expectations out there. I feel parents uh, oftentimes in boys' tennis are playing for – they, they often claim they're hopefully going to get a scholarship uh, and uh, don't have any um, dreams of their son playing pro. And and I, I heard that time and time again, and I just never really understood that. I, I was like, well, why would you limit your son or – why why can't they shoot for the stars and 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 then as far as tennis scholarships go uh good luck with that um there's not a lot around for the the boys uh um there's a lot for the for the girls due to title 9 thank goodness but uh for the boys it's pretty tough uh i mean in my son's graduating class uh 3 out of the top 10 had to pay the the full amount you know they're blue chips, so they didn't get right. a scholarship. So uh, scholarships for boys, uh, if that's the goal, uh, that's pretty unrealistic. And um, again, I think I think they've lost the base of the pyramid there, which should be enjoyment. And uh, and uh, that's uh, I saw a lot of that. You know, I saw a lot of uh, unhappiness out there, and uh, uh, that's why it's uh, it's humbling to be able to. Uh, bring this idea uh, to your listeners for me because I really love the game and 
I would like to see a lot more uh, fun and joy out on those uh, courts. Well, and I think there uh, there could be. Uh, there's no two ways uh, about that. And I think uh, too often, even with going back to the scholarships, uh, uh, I think there. I think you have to ask yourself: Do you want to play college tennis? If you do, you know, then there's other routes besides scholarships. There's, uh, you know, there's financial uh, assistance available to other schools, and everybody's not going to be. Uh, uh, a Division One uh, candidate find a place uh, for you. I think part of the my objection is part of the problem is that uh, people are looking the wrong place or they make the wrong assumption. I know for years uh, I was coaching the boys and girls at the high school team. They said, "Well, Coach Denise always favored the girls because he gets some, you know, scholarships and uh, not the boys." And like you just pointed out, it isn't. It's not that you're favoring one over the other, but the truth of the matter is, it's easier to, uh, because of Title IX, to get a girl's scholarship than it was uh, for a boy. It wasn't that you're favoring one, but I think too often we didn't, you know, look to work at. Are you looking to play? Uh, college uh, tennis is that part of your college, or are you looking to? go pro and you're using college as a vehicle to get you to go pro. If you're doing that, then you, you definitely belong in a Division One school. But if you're looking as part of your college life to be the enjoyment, to continue playing tennis and to continue being part of a team, there's many uh, avenues out there that we can go, and I don't think um, we spend enough time with that. But that's my personal opinion. I agree, John. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, we've gone through uh, quite a bit of time already, but I still have a little time. Um, how can somebody? Uh, you are going to take that to the workshop, but it's a. Uh, you have that on a one page. Uh, is that what it is, or is it in yes. a book or what? Well. Um, I did mention to you it's a work in progress. It was just uh, it was an idea that uh, came to me, and uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking to my son about it this summer, and uh, having the opportunity to speak with you uh, kind of drove me to spend a little bit more time on it. But uh, you know, I could, I could, I, I definitely could expand it and uh, <laughs> make it a lot more than one page. But again, I feel like uh, I gave you the basic outline of it today, and uh, it, it is nice if you can see it, you know, because uh, th I think it just makes it. Uh, I, did you get the uh, attachment I sent you? Can you see it? I had it color coded. Uh, well, right now I I can't because I'm on the uh, computer. It's I I'm afraid to do two things in one. I'm at uh, <laughs> 21st century. So now I'm on. I have all the broadcast and uh, computer stuff uh, going. I definitely will look at it after. But I also, you don't mind, I, as you uh, know, we've uh, talked before, and uh, you know my reputation as being a pain in the ass, and I don't deny no, I it. Don't. I will no, challenge I don't. you. Uh, I will challenge you to sit there and think about it. I think having that visualization, uh, one-page idea is good, but I think what you're doing is so important. And I would sit there and uh, consider expanding it. You know, it doesn't have to be a big book, but it's something shorter and pamphlets. And I would also... Uh, I don't. I don't think we have a disagreement, but I think we do approach things in a little way. I think at a, a certain point in development, competition has to be part of the development, and I think that competition in the United States, particularly, has become a bad word. And I don't think it has to be a bad word. I think. What you're talking about, I agree 100% with, but now help me find a way of getting that competition in there and still be the fun. And that to me, and 
it goes back to the basics, and you're giving the people that basics, and I don't think that basics ever leaves you. I think the problem is, uh, uh, you know, we sit there and try to make it something different. I had a, yeah. a discussion recently uh, in church, my clergy, that uh, has uh, an eight-page thing on the, the Ten Commandments, and I'm saying, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, it was a genius that put it. Ten Commandments apart, and now we need eight pages to digest it. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe what I'm asking you to do is... Well, maybe we should create the Ten, 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 ten Commandments, done. and the first one would be Thou Shalt Kill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the what, you know, one of the things about the Tennis Trainers Pyramid is, um, yeah, there, there's situ- like health. You know, where is that on the pyramid? Well, we started, you know... I'm thinking, well, put a circle around the entire pyramid because health is all-encompassing. And I kind of believe that with competition. You know, tennis at its essence is competition. If we're just going to sit there and just rally to each other back and forth down the middle, um, which is what a lot of people are very comfortable doing and uncomfortable doing anything else, well, then we're really not playing tennis anymore. I don't know what we could call it. We should call maybe just call that another sport and uh, let them do that sport, um, hitting the ball down the middle as long as you can forever. Um, because there are a lot of people that simply just love doing that. But, um, you know, for me, you know, to answer your question, like where, where does competition fit in the tennis tra- trainer's triangle? I feel like at every stage, the enjoyment stage has to be introduced um, immediately. Day one, um, you know, as a PTR, tennis professional, um, their basic lesson guide um, always finishes with a, uh, a some type of game where we keep right. score. So, so at every level, competition is present and present. And I think, again, as coaches, we are the number one role model for these players. So, if we introduce competitive and a fun way which is going to benefit them they will view it as fun and beneficial but if we hide from it for fear of perhaps losing clients uh, because somebody's going to go home unhappy because they didn't win something well then you know we're doing our clients a disservice well Ed, thank you thank you so much i think that address was what i uh, and, uh, and it does, uh, and I guess I'll always be a pain because I think that driving, trying to get in there, I think your explanation just now was outstanding. And I think that's part of it. And, uh, and maybe I'm just too fearful uh, that you're, you're more afraid to sit there to address the obvious. We're afraid to go back. Uh, in a couple of minutes, I'll be uh, talking about in the John Denise perspective uh, and I did mention it uh, last week uh, as part of the Harvard uh, Business uh, Review. Uh, and I'm usually pretty good at reading these things because I like to stay abreast. Uh, uh, I, I went to college after I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, and thank God. Otherwise, who knows where I would have been. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm still trying. My wife says I'm trying to catch up. She's probably right. But I try to read things when I get them, and I've had this for two weeks now, and I've struggled to read, and they do have some good points, but the article is Managing Yourself and How to Negotiate with a Liar. And I'm saying, you know, and the, the problem I'm having is I think, you know, I, I have problems, for instance, with the USTA competing against high schools, what's scheduling. And I think, and I'm not blaming the USPTA. I, I know you, the volunteer work you do is fantastic. I sat on the Florida board for eight years. But, and, and it's as much our t- fault in the high schools that we change rules to make it easier. And I, and I think I, I look at all the sports, and the athletes that come out of high school tennis and all the sports with the exception of uh, tennis. And uh, I still, 
Uh, maybe I'm beating a dead horse, but I just still don't see the progress that I had hoped to make uh, when we started the Florida High School Tennis Coaches Association. But the other day, you know, to sit there, and it took me two weeks, I just got to it today, was, you know, how to negotiate with a liar. I struggled with that, and there's some good points in it, but I have to ask the audience, compromise is good, compromise is important, Compromise is part of the process where we're learning and we're challenging. But I think when you compromise your mores, and you talked about the competition that I think people are afraid to talk to when people, when the dollar becomes more important, uh, and we all have to make a living, and it's it's easier for me at 76 years old to talk about it because my days are going, but I've, I had this argument with my son for years with the John Denise School of Tennis. He'd say, you know, if we if you did what so-and-so did and you weren't so demanding, you know, we could have more customers. Well, to me, it was never about more customers. It was about trying to do something that you believed in, and hopefully it was the right way. And now I still struggle. I read this article. Uh, it's a pages, uh, everything comes out of Harvard. There's there's some worthwhile things in here, but I, I just look and I say, what are we doing when we sit there and now we, we're compromising our mores to a point that we have to learn how to negotiate with a liar. Uh, and I, <laughs> you and just I, brought up a, a lot of new topics for a whole new conversation. Uh, USTA uh, competitive tennis versus high school tennis, and and all those uh, ramifications, and and then the uh, simple tennis teaching ethics and moralities, totally, totally uh, new topics worthy of lengthy discussions. But are they new conversations? And should they be new? I mean, well, they've I've been going on for a long time. A little time, bit about they? what you're doing. I mean, to me. I, uh, unless I missed that to me, but you have done is a worthwhile endeavor, and you boiled it down, and uh, you know, while nobody agrees with everything, you know, did, did you have to compromise your values to come up with that? No, 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 no. I, I mean. Look, most people, most tennis professionals are are in it for the love of the game, not for the love of the money. Um, like I told you, I I owned a chain of retail stores, and uh, and I move I moved back to tennis because I missed it and I loved it, and uh, I did sacrifice uh, on the financial side, but you know, for me it was worth it. Uh, for others, maybe not. But as far as like going back to uh, high school tennis and it's it's tough. Uh, my son was on that had that issue as a freshman. He he I, I encouraged him to do high school tennis. I I wanted him to have that team experience, and uh, also uh, you know. But he he felt it would compromise his game because he pretty much he won like 17 matches 6-0, 6-0. and uh, then he would go do a USTA tournament and. Uh, compete against somebody he was he was accustomed to beating easily and then all of a sudden he came off the match he's like boy he seemed a lot tougher because compared to anybody I played in high school he was really really good so these are these are the issues you see from the high performance player with regard to high school um it, it's tough and then and then of course the seniors on my son's team had no sympathy for my son's uh USTA endeavors they didn't want to hear about him leaving, you know, even the most insignificant practice, not that any practice is insignificant in my book, but, uh, you know, they gave him a lot of, a lot of grief. And, uh, you know, when it came to the state finals and, uh, for the whole, whole thing in New Jersey, my son lost in a breaker in the third set, he came off the court and he said, dad, I'm really not that upset. And I was like, well, 
well, that's good. You made a great effort. You know, you should be proud of your effort. He said, no, you know, these 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 seniors, you know, they only started really rooting for me <laughs> this past hour. The rest of the year, they've been kind of hating on me, Dad. So you, you get that dynamic uh, from the high performance side. And then I guess on, I can only, you know, I all, all I know is that I got the sense from the parents, like, you know, how come how come your kid's not completely devoted to the high school team? And I'm like, gee whiz, you know. He's got he's got some other fish to fry, not necessarily bigger, but you know, of importance. So there was you know so there's that dynamic that uh, makes it tough and, and creates conflict because expectations on both sides are uh, you know not equal. Well, there's no question. There, there's enough uh, things to consider, and that's why it was if it was easy, we'd have the problem solved by now. And there's people. One of my guests. Uh, on the broadcast was a gentleman with two daughters that don't play high school at all, and he loves high school sports and uh, and gave you know and has very valid reasons uh, of why not. Uh, my point is that you know I think um, I coached high school tennis for 20 years uh, because of the love of the game. Uh, my wife figured out that during the season, uh, you know, 20 years ago, she showed me that I was losing about $6,000 from my business because I felt I didn't want to do more, so I had pros that worked for me uh, do that. Well, I coached the high school, and I was blessed to be able to do that because I loved the sport. But I think we're at a point that athletic directors and school boards, and this is um, actually which will be the, my next article in Florida Tennis, uh, a two-part article, is where does that responsibility go? And I don't think it's definitely – I'm not blaming the USTA. I think a lot of it is on ours, maybe, you know, be, be selfishly because I love something. Was that the right thing to do? Is an athletic director not being uh, paying a coach, or not even in some incidents getting a person that knows tennis, but instead hiring somebody to monitor the players so they don't get in trouble? Uh, you look in Florida; we have a lot of great bands. Uh, the high school I was at had a phenomenal band, won all kinds of awards. Uh, but the band director, and that was that's an after-school activity. But the band director. Uh, was paid, uh, you know, almost a hundred times uh, more money. Uh, so, why why isn't tennis treated like football and basketball and uh, you know other other sports? I think the blame and and we can't too often in these discussions. I hear well, that's the USTA's problem or that's the PTR problem. And that's the uh, USPTA problem. The truth of the matter is that many of our, our organization were members of all those things. So really, is it something we should be addressing? Or is it something that because it's difficult, we should avoid? Uh, do we give that problem uh, to our next generation or to our grandchildren, like we're looking to give our national debt to our great, 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 great grand? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think I think a huge accomplishment is uh, the transition to the uh, red, uh, orange, and green ball development. Um, you know, the United States was slow to develop that, and unfortunately, there may still be coaches out there that that don't agree with it. But uh, you know, I, I I wish I had had discovered that for my son. Uh, it just it just allows for for the younger player to develop quickly everything. And, uh, you know, they just have success with uh, smaller rackets and bigger, slower balls. And I think that's going to be huge in uh, in growing tennis in this country. But, you know, the other thing is the rest of the world uh, not only caught up, but, you know, and, and also has begun to participate. When, when tennis in my era, it was, you know, United States, Australia, England, these were where all the great tennis players were coming from. And, you know, a lot of people like are like, what happened to American tennis? Hey, American tennis is still great. 
It's just the rest of the world caught up. And, uh, you know, pretty oh, soon. Uh, we killed an hour, so I've got to go <laughs> off here now. I thank you. I look forward to seeing you in January. And who reminds everybody that Alan Fox will be uh, with us next week. Tell your friends to uh, listen to the network. I thank all of you for coming. Uh, I think uh, hopefully you all know um, why we have Ed Duffy as one of our presenters. He's a, he's a special uh, man, and we have special coaches there. And we thank all of you, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Take care. John, have a blessed week now. John, I hope your listeners uh, will benefit even in a very small way. I thank you so much, John. You have a great night. I thank you. Thank you too now.